following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, January 2nd, 2022, on the basis of Luke 2, verses 41 through 52. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. I sometimes wonder what Christmas is like for Mark Lowry. Mark Lowry has lived quite a a productive life. He's a a comedian and a singer. He has a a YouTube channel with 113,000 subscribers. His His videos have been viewed a combined total of more than 18 million times. And yet Mark Lowry, far and away, is known for one thing more than anything else. He is the author of the single most controversial, single most debated, single most beloved by some, but also despised by others, the most praised and criticized Christmas song of all time, Mary, Did You Know? Are you familiar with this one? Since it was written in 1984, that song, Mary, Did You Know?, has become known and recognized all over the world. It's been performed and recorded by the likes of Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton, Carrie Underwood and Clay Aiken, perhaps most famously by the a cappella group Pentatonix. And many people absolutely love that song. They love it for its unique and probing lyrics, its haunting melody, its use of biblical imagery, and its clever turns of phrase. But other people don't like that song a whole lot. They criticize it for being shallow, and thin. They point out how the song never really actually states anything. It just asks endless questions without ever providing an answer. And some people even take it a step farther than that. They say that the song is insulting and degrading toward Mary. Paints her out to be this clueless young woman who has no idea what is going on with this special child that she is giving birth to, even though the Bible tells us that she probably knew more than anyone about this special child that she was giving birth to. In other words, some people accuse it of being a very obvious and egregious example of mansplaining. So every year when I, when I see kind of this debate go on, on the one hand, a song that is overhyped and sometimes overplayed. On the other hand, a song that is overanalyzed and overcriticized. I sometimes think to myself, I wonder what Christmas is like for Mark Lowry, the guy who wrote it. Well, thankfully this morning, I I think we have good reason, at the very least, to sort of let the guy off the hook a little bit. Because in the verses that we are looking at this morning, we're going to see Jesus himself ask his mother Mary a question. And the question is not, Mary, did you know? The question is, Mary, didn't you know? In other words, the question is a a little bit more accusatory. It's a little bit of a a scold, you might even say, of Jesus toward his mother. And what's more, this isn't a question that adult, grown-up Jesus asked his mother. This is a question being asked of a mother by her 12-year-old son. In other words, it's not mansplaining. It's teensplaining. Even worse, enough to get under any parent's skin. Well, as we look at that question this morning, I think it can help us out in the sense that it uncovers 
Something about Mary that, that probably any parent, that would have been true of any parent, a view that perhaps she had of, of her son that we could understand any parent having. The assumptions that we naturally have about childhood and parenting and about what work is and how work gets done can very easily lead us to reduce the work that our Savior Jesus came to do for us into something that is far smaller than it actually is. And so this morning, it's not just Mary that needs a little bit of teen-splaining from her 12-year-old son. We do too. As we look at these verses from Luke chapter 2 this morning, we're going to see that there is at least one thing that Mary didn't and that we had better know about Jesus. Now, when people look at, at this account from the childhood of Jesus, one thing they see right away is that parenting was very different in Jesus' day than it is in ours. Recently, I learned that for today's parents, preschools and child care providers often make use of apps that are designed to keep parents up to date on everything that's going on throughout the day. So when little Johnny eats, or when little Johnny takes a nap, and yes, when little Johnny fills his diaper, mom and dad get a nice little notification on their phone, letting them know every single thing that's going on. Now, whether that in any way sounds appealing to you or not, at the very least, we can see that things were different in Jesus' day. Jesus and his parents, Mary and Joseph, are taking this trip from Galilee up in the north down to Jerusalem in the south, a journey of several days for the Passover festival taking place in Jerusalem. And you heard what happened. They lose Jesus. They head back home. Jesus stays behind. They assume Jesus is with someone else in their company, but then when they stop for the night, they go looking for Jesus and he is nowhere to be found. Now, without in any way suggesting that Mary and Joseph should have been today's helicopter parents, at the very least, you'd think they could have kept a little bit of a better eye on him. Well, so, of course, they do what you'd expect them to do. They come running back to Jerusalem. They go frantically looking for Jesus all around town, and finally, they find him at the temple. He is sitting among the learned biblical scholars of the day. He is asking them questions. He is amazing them with their understanding of the scriptures. And when Mary and Joseph find him, they do what you'd expect any parents to do. They scold him a little bit. Mary says, how could you have done this to us? Your father and I were in such pain and agony as we were looking for you. And that's when Jesus asks his question. He says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Now, what Jesus says there is actually a little bit tough to translate. There's sort of this unidentifiable blank that needs to be filled in. Our translation fills it in with saying Jesus had to be in his father's house. Some of you might remember growing up with the translation that Jesus said, I had to be about my father's business. Really, all Jesus says is, I had to be about the things of my father. I had to be about the stuff of my father. Maybe even he said or meant I had to be among the people of my father. Regardless of exactly what Jesus meant, one thing is clear. Jesus had to be doing it. It was needed. It was necessary for him to be doing. And again, the reason that that is so important is because of when Jesus spoke these words. Jesus said these things when he was 12 years old. You know, when I think about that song, Mary, Did You Know?, I think it's easy to conclude there were a lot of things that Mary knew 
about this child that she was the mother of. There were the things that she had learned from the angel Gabriel when his arrival was first announced. Things that she learned from her relative Elizabeth when she went to visit her. Things she probably learned from Joseph that he had learned in his dream. Things she learned from the shepherds when they arrived at the stable on the night he was born. Things that she learned from Simeon and Anna when they first took Jesus to the temple when he was 40 days old. All kinds of things she knew about this child and what he had come to do. And yet I wonder if Mary had a view of her child that is natural for any parent to have. That this work that her child came to do, this business of our salvation, was business for a grown-up. And that really her job as a parent was simply to to raise Jesus so that he would eventually become a grown-up who was ready and willing to do that work. In other words, as if the entire point and the entire purpose of Jesus' life was still off in the future, still off in the distance, still to come. And of course, there was a lot that was still to come. Out of all that we know about Jesus from the Gospels, most of it comes from the time when he is 30 to 33 years old, his three-year public ministry. In fact, out of the four Gospels, there's really just one incident, this incident, that we learn about from Jesus' childhood. And yet, even from just this one incident, we learn something very important. We learn that the work of our salvation cannot be reduced to a series of individual itemized tasks that Jesus came to complete. Perform some miracles, check. Preach some sermons, check. Welcome the outcasts. Rebuke the religious leaders, check, check. Die on the cross, check. Rise from the dead, check. Oh, the work Jesus came to do for us and for our salvation is far more than some giant to-do list that he needed to complete one by one. Jesus came to offer his entire life as a substitute, as a stand-in for ours. And so it wasn't just those major events that we can equate with the work of our salvation. It's every breath Every beat of his heart, every bite that he took, every step that he walked, every syllable that he spoke was offered in service to that work of being our Savior. And so the work that Jesus came to do was not the work of simply a grown-up. Every single infant in this room or every person who's been an infant at some point in their life needed Jesus to be the perfect infant for them. Every terrible two-year-old in the room needed Jesus to be the perfect two-year-old. Every tween and every teen needed Jesus to be the perfect tween and teen. And yes, every single 20-something and 30-something, every single very soon to be over the hiller, every soon middle-ager, every single retiree, needed Jesus to be the perfect adult, the perfect grown-up in their place as well. The work of our salvation cannot simply be reduced to a set of tasks that Jesus needed to complete. Instead, that salvation is found in a person, in his entire life offered in place of ours. And so as Mary found out, and as we better find out as well, 
that work was necessary at every stage of Jesus' life, including when he was just 12 years old. Now, this incident meant something, not just about Jesus, Mary's son. It also meant something for Mary. In fact, it meant something for for everyone. And the way that that comes out in this account is sort of in the interesting way that Luke records the account from start to finish. So at the very beginning of the account, Mary and Joseph are the center of attention. The very first thing Luke says is that every single year, they went down to Jerusalem for the Passover. Did Jesus go with them? We don't really know because Luke doesn't say. Even this year when Jesus is 12 years old, it simply says they went to Jerusalem for the Passover. The only reason we know that Jesus went with them is because of everything else that follows. So at the beginning of the count, this 12-year-old boy is where you'd expect a 12-year-old boy to be. He's a tag-along. He's an afterthought. But by the end of the account, everything has changed. Luke doesn't tell us that they left and they went home. He says he, Jesus, went home with them. Jesus became obedient to them. Jesus grew in favor and in wisdom and in stature before both God and man. By the end of the account, Jesus is the subject of every verb. Jesus is the center of attention. And everyone else's life, including Mary and Joseph's, revolve around him. You know, as I think about the assumptions that our task oriented, to-do list world that we live in can create in us. Those assumptions might not only affect the work that we, or the, the view that we have of Jesus and the work that he did as our Savior, they might also affect the way that we view our need for the work that Jesus did for us. It is very easy for us to view our relationship with God, our relationship with Jesus, as if it is this useful tool that we can use at various times when needed to accomplish various tasks. Perhaps that task is an informational one. We want to know. We want our kids to know certain things about God. We want them to know right from wrong. We want them to know some Bible stories and maybe even a little doctrine. And so our relationship with Jesus is all about acquiring that information. Maybe at certain times in our life, that task is more of a behavioral one. Here we are, it's January 2nd. I trust you've made some New Year's resolutions. Hopefully you haven't broken them all already. It's only the second day of the year. But maybe some of those resolutions even revolve around improving some of your behavior from a moral standpoint. You want to lose your temper less. You want to be a better spouse. You want to kick that that bad habit or that pet sin out of your life once and for all. And so your relationship with Jesus revolves around improving morally. Or maybe that task is more of a therapeutic one. You're looking for some inspiration and some motivation to help you get through each day. Or maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've experienced loss. And you're looking to heal. And so your relationship with Jesus is about improving your mental or emotional well-being. Now, without a doubt, a relationship with Jesus can include all of those things. But if any one of those things becomes the sum and substance of our relationship with Jesus, then inevitably we will end up in the same place. Once the task is complete, then our use for the tool 
has come to an end. Everything that I hear in church, I feel like I've heard before and I already know. Check. I got confirmed. Got my children confirmed. Check. All the bad habits and pet sins in my life seem to be pretty well under control. Check. I feel better. I feel whole. Check. Thank you very much, Jesus. I'll let you know the next time I need you. No, that question that Jesus asked his mother Mary is true in more ways than one. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house, about my father's business, among my father's people? What Jesus is saying is true, not only for the work that he did as our Savior, it is also true for the need that we have of that work in our lives. We needed him to be in that temple doing that work at age 12. At, his, at that point in his life, we also need to be him, for him to be doing that exact same work at every single point in our lives too. Just as, as the story ends, we need Jesus to be much more than an afterthought, a nice tag along, a nice add on to our already full and busy lives. We need Jesus to be the subject of every verb, the center of attention, the thing around which our entire world and, yes, our entire lives revolve. And the really good news is that when that's the case, there's at least one very important way where we will never have to experience what Mary and Joseph went through. For three whole days, 72 agonizing hours, they were looking for Jesus and they didn't know where he was. One thing you and I will never have to go through. When we go looking for Jesus, we know exactly where we're going to find him. Whether we are infants or terrible two-year-olds or tweens or teens or 20-somethings or 30-somethings or very soon to be over the hillers or middle-agers or retirees, whether the year is 2021 or 2022 or any other year of our Lord, whether the building, the physical location, happens to be a storefront in a strip mall or a basement of an old bank building or a brand spanking new church on a beautiful piece of property just outside of town. Whenever we go looking for Jesus, he will be in his father's house, about his father's business, among his father's people exactly where we need him to be. Amen.